Hello, everybody. This is David Bixenspan here from CagesideSeats.com with another edition of the Loser Leaf Town podcast, which is available either through iTunes or via LoserLeafsTown.net and DavidBix.com. And I'm joined here for, I believe, the second time by your friend and mine and probably the host of the best wrestling podcast going today after about, what is it, five episodes now? Uh, I've had six going on seven. Oh, six. Okay, I'm a couple weeks behind. That's why I couldn't remember. <laughs> uh, the Art of Wrestling, so Cole Cabana, and I said your name already, didn't I? No, you didn't. <laughs> or didn't, I didn't. <laughs> I was waiting for the big, the big uh, finale of it. I was going through the whole thing, and then I say, and then I get, oh, how many episodes is it? <laughs> anyway, Cole yeah. Cabana, the host of the Art of Wrestling, available at welovecult.com and on iTunes, and... Now, it's preferable for people to get to subscribe on iTunes because that helps you with advertising and all that, right? Well, I don't know. We're in a real weird situation here because what I've been told is that it's preferable for people to go to We Love Colt so I can get my my numbers. Uh, On iTunes, they don't give you numbers. So I don't know how the advertising works with that. Oh, Uh, okay. Yeah, if somebody could help me out, you know, if anyone has a clue how that works, because neither myself nor my producer really have any clue how that works. Um, but I know my popularity is, is very large on iTunes and I know those first couple ones were like the number five and the number seven, uh, you know, in the world in professional and sports, uh, listened to. So I, I know it's going really well, but I, I don't know how it, in terms of numbers that works. So I don't know. Go to, go to either. That's what I said. Yeah. We love cult.com iTunes. As far as your other sites that you plug, we have what cultmerch.com on Twitter, your Dr. Colt Cabana, do you do you have a do you have a third do you have, I forget do you have a third website? I don't, uh, I'm trying to think now. There is or is it just Colt Merch and yeah. We Love Colt right now? Yeah, Colt Merch. No, those are my websites. We Love Colt is the podcast, and Colt Merch is to help me uh, make some money on the side. Uh, but then my, you know my Twitter. I'm trying to uh, at Doctor Colt Cabana. I'm not. I'm trying to. It's it's a it's an interesting an interesting thing. You know how much to promote and how much uh, you know fun content for people that want to follow you to not unfollow you because that's a big thing I've had on Twitter is I'll, I'll follow these people that I love. And then it's just like you update my, your Twitter line every 13 minutes and boy, am I quick to unfollow you? And it's not a slap in anyone's face. It's just, I, I have people that I like to, you know, funny Twitterers that I like to uh, read and they're just getting bombarded by, you know, Shelly Martinez telling me that she uh, opened a can of pickles every 12 minutes. So, you know, <laughs> I guess maybe the best way to describe it would be it's sort of like Colt Cabana's Twitter only with you plugging your – not Colt – your Colt Cabana. Conan O'Brien, it's the C sounds that are confusing my brain. Yeah. <laughs> Conan O'Brien's Twitter but plugging your wrestling dates. Yeah, I, you know, I hope. I, I try to, to, to throw in – And your comedy date appearance. Yeah, well, it's mainly, you know, it's, at the end of the day, it's all to me, it's all a marketing strategy kind of. You know, it is business. Um but the great thing about it is that my business is the business of being a moron and being, you know, an idiot and having fun with my life. So uh, altogether it works. But I do try to, you know, throw as much humor in there as I possibly can because at the end of the day, that's uh, why I think people would want to follow me is uh, to have fun with what I have to say. And how did you end up uh, starting the Art of Wrestling deal? Because I can't remember if you told me where you got the idea. I was very inspired by uh, the comedy podcasts in the comedy mm-hmm. podcast world. Um, and I don't know how familiar or unfamiliar you are with them or some of the listeners. I'm sure some of the listeners are 
familiar with it, but I was very unfamiliar with it. And, uh, and, it, and getting into comedy myself and listening to the podcast really don't have much to do with each other because I was a huge comedy fan you know, before, obviously, before I got into the world of comedy per se, you know, doing the, and I don't count doing my stand up as getting into the comedy world. I, I count being part of the Chicago improv world as really kind of getting into the comedy world. But um, so, uh, uh, a, um, a fan of mine sent me over a link to, uh, to Comedy Death Ray podcast. And, um, and from there, I started listening to that. And then I was listening to Doug Benson's podcast and Mark Marin's podcast. And I've got about a list of about 20 that I listen to religiously and uh it was just very inspiring and I, there was nothing like it in my mind in the in the world of wrestling at least in my mind and um i thought it'd be great to 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 kind of maybe be the first or be the first one of uh, you know a current wrestler who's on this who's on the scene to do something like this and so uh Stu stone it's at uh sunday com. he he was the guy in the circle circle dot dot uh song with jamie kennedy on mtv and stuff uh, he's been a buddy of mine, and he's doing stuff in the comedy world, and he's a huge wrestling fan. So, uh, uh, you know, he hel- I, I brought him the idea, and he was like, yo, I'm going to help you 100%. Let's go. And and it was like I had to do it because he was like, I'm going to help you. So uh, we threw it together, and uh, and I'm having a blast doing it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I really like the format. And it, I, one thing I'm really noticing is because it's pretty much it's you and wrestler friends talking about wrestling and to a degree, the art of wrestling, as the title suggests, and you know, I like how it's very relaxed and you know, just by that from that format, and it's very enjoyable to listen to. I think it's, yeah, I don't think I've heard any wrestling podcast that I would say is as good as as good as yours. I mean, inclu- especially including this one. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a close second. Um, yeah, but it's not you know, it's not inspired by wrestling podcasts. That's why it's inspired by comedy podcasts. And if you listen to those, there's there's a million that sound just like mine. So uh, it just you know the comedy, the wrestling world is just a completely different world. And uh, we have obviously our, our own community. And uh, you know I'm trying to tap in, take from a different community and, and tap in. You know almost not uh, on a on a one millionth lower scale level than you know when Vince McMahon you know tapped into rock and roll community or whatever you know and and tried to make that that's what he tried to make his wrestling. I'm on the lowest of the lowest scale you know, going into a different world and bring it into wrestling. And hopefully it's going to work. And I think it's been, it's been great so far. But, but uh, let me co- – The Art of Wrestling is um, based off my, RO, or my HDNet segment show. Uh, that's what it was called. And then I just kind of made this – that was the, the Art of Wrestling. So this is the podcast version of it. Oh, where, okay. I do not yeah. get HDNet. Yeah, yeah. On HDNet, <laughs> I was doing a bit of a, a segment where I just – I do kind of a comedy spoof. I did – one with uh, the, the Briscoes and one with Sanjay and one with Bobby Cruz. So this was going to be just the elongated podcast version of it. Uh, there's no intention to really get into the, the depth of the art of the actual professional wrestling. Um, but if it does, it does. You know, I, it's just <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just us sitting down and, and just talking and BSing really. Yeah. And if it, but you know, and just as wrestlers talking about wrestling for whatever audience, you know, it ends up being stuff that at least to. Idiots like us, you know, we might think of that way, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but I'm – like when I go through it, I'm – as I'm – like as I'm asking my buddies, like I, I think to myself, like, well, what do I want to get out of this? I don't want – I don't want people to like shoot on people. It's not meant to be a shoot interview. Right, right. Yeah. But what I like is like I love little information that nobody's heard of that is just like, you know, I maybe happen to know but have never shared with any and they never had shared with anyone. Like a, Like something like – in episode three with Chad Collier, and I don't think it's ever been discussed. Chad was supposed to be 
um, the third member of uh, Team Angle, and I don't think that was ever known. I'm not sure. But you'd probably be the the judge. I have never, I never heard that. Yeah, but in the wrestling world, you know, between all our buddies, everybody knew that that Chad was supposed to be the lightweight of Team Angle, and that was just supposed to happen. And unfortunately, it didn't. And I think information like that that just kind of comes out and and you know, kind of like um, director's cuts or deleted scenes in a, in a DVD. That's what. That's kind of how I see this. Uh, this podcast is, is director's cuts or deleted scenes that no one would, no one knew about or no one will ever know about. But, you know, I, I'm opening the door for, for the wrestling nerds like us, myself included, to kind of know about. Yeah, yeah, I like the thing on the Bull Pain podcast where he, what was it that he talked, uh, what was it that, uh, I think he, I'm trying to remember if he actually used it as a verb with Vern Gagne <laughs> pumping up the guys to, uh, to he said the hell out of job, guys. Did he say Verning? I'm trying yeah, to remember. Yeah, you'd, you'd be Verning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he also said you'd be Ian Rottening somebody if you uh, fucked yes. him over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that, yeah, I love that Bull Pain podcast. And oh, cool. Yeah, Bulls. And it's it's great that I can give an opportunity to somebody like a Bull Pain to, you know, not be short and do, uh, you know, a four-minute interview segment or something or you know, and there are a lot, a lot of us, myself included, we get asked to do these interviews, and we, we're not familiar with any of the people, and and so you know, it's hard to want to open up or to even know where the, where it's going to go. You know, with a guy like Bull, he knows he knows it's for me. He knows who it's going, where it's going to, who's going to be listening. You know, he, and he knows how respectable or unrespectable that it, that it is. And I hope you know he realizes. I think it's more respectable than unrespectable. <laughs> So anyway, the reason that I brought you on today was because we had been talking about the Observer Hall of Fame, which you have voted in this year, and was allegedly. this the first year? allegedly <laughs> was this the allegedly the first year that you voted? Uh, allegedly, no, but I, I don't know if I'm if you're allowed to say anyone. So I'm... you can, you can you you can. I've never seen. Dave or anyone have a problem with it, whether it's, I mean, the rest, you know, it's usually older wrestlers who talk about who they voted for since, or, you know, I don't know, well, you, you know, you're more prolific, I guess, interview-wise as far as young wrestlers who would consider talking about it, but whatever. I mean, <laughs> anyway, so what, did you first vote, when, what was the first year that you voted? Uh, allegedly, I don't remember, maybe, maybe three years ago? Yeah. yeah. So, now, I remember we were talking especially about the Europe, European wrestlers, how, you know, last year was the first year that they really had a spot on the ballot, and no one went in. I believe Mark Rocco was the closest. I think he came in with somewhere around maybe like 50-something percent, and, you know, you need 60 to get in. So figuring out know, that'll especially be interesting because I know, as m- many other people do, that you love your European wrestling. So why don't we start with who you voted for and why, and then maybe we'll talk about some of the other guys on the ballot. Okay. Um, it's broken down into, th- I have it broken down into three categories. Um, and I don't remember who all I have, I have written down who I voted for. So I don't, or who I allegedly voted for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know who I left out. So, and I think I, I'm only allowed to do 10. Is that correct? It's well, 10 wrestlers and unlimited non wrestlers. Okay. So I did six wrestlers. Okay. Okay, so I have uh, I followed in the modern performer performers era. I followed wrestling in Europe candidates and non wrestlers. Those were my three categories. Okay. So what do you want to know? Uh, let's just well, I'll, since I have the ballot in front of me, let's just start with the I follow the modern performers era since that's first. Okay. Uh, 
And don't ask, I have no clue uh, why I did any of this, but I'll, <laughs> uh, my first one, I, I chose Carlos Colon. Okay. I, I, I always wonder about if he ever will get in, because, you know, you always hear different things about, you know, whether it's some people think because of the Brody stuff that he shouldn't get in or whatever, but, uh, so I was wondering, were you just thinking of him as sort of like a, you know, a Jerry Lawler or Jackie Fargo type where the territory is them and they kind of have to go in. Yeah, my thinking is right. From my knowledge, and this is all, I guess, based on my knowledge and whatnot, you know, like in my mind, he was a guy, you know, he came over to New York or whatever, uh, or he came over to the States and he worked and he went back to Puerto Rico and basically just invented, you know, for the, you know, common knowledge in Puerto Rico. He was, he was the man. He invented like, wrestling over there and um uh, and a little spoiler here uh in terms of like you know um unlike big daddy he was capable of walking in a wrestling ring you know like <laughs> so you know i was in my mind as long as he was capable of putting on decent matches which he was uh you know obviously later like a lot of the blood and guts but you know he carlos could work and in my mind at least as a fan watching so in my mind he was capable of being he was a capable enough wrestler if not better than a capable enough wrestler and, uh, you know, that was him. Like, if you think Puerto Rican wrestling, you think Carlos Colon. Like, that's the first name that comes up. And that's a huge, you know, I would love if people th- thought Jewish wrestlers, they thought Cole Cabana, but they think Goldberg. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's a huge thing for him. And, and to me, that's, you know, I, that, in that, my mind, that's Hall of Fame qualities. I mean, frankly, if I, if I would want, if pe- when people think of Jewish wrestlers, I'd want them to think of Randy Savage. But that's just me. Yeah, is that official? I don't even know if that's. Official. I think his his mom is or was Jewish. Okay, so he's a halfster. Well, it goes through your mother, so I think tech, I thought half Jewish refers to if it's your father, but not your mother. Uh, I don't know. I was always like when I was in school, and we had a lot of you know a lot of Jewish people in school, but a lot of half Jewish people. Uh, it was just whether one of their parents was or was not like. But that's kind of the reform. You know, no one really cares about Judaism, but we count us, we call ourselves Jewish because our parents yeah, have like me. money. <laughs> so, to me, it's just if one, you know, if one or the other has one, you're half. Sure. Okay, and you know, I'm just I'm looking at you know, people forget. I mean, you know, how well Puerto Rico drew for those big shows. Like, I'm only getting you know, twenty nine thousand people for the eleventh anniversary, you know, twenty seven. 27,000 for 10th anniversary, you know, huge crowds on those baseball stadium shows. And 14th anniversary, they did three in three venues like WrestleMania 2. And I think it actually drew more people than WrestleMania 2, at least at the live arenas, which is impressive. So anyway, Carlos Colon, and I, well, I wonder, as a wrestler, I mean, maybe either being younger or just in general... Does the Brody thing weigh on you at all, or do you just feel like it's wrestling? There are a lot. There are people, you know, people who are not good people in the Hall of Fame. It should just be the wrestling stuff. Um, man, I guess my knowledge of the Brody situation isn't as good as I thought it would be. Like that didn't come up in my mind at all. Like if I think Brody, I, I obviously I think Invader Two, right? Right. It, so I mean, that's kind of just. I mean, I would never put him in the Hall of Fame. Right. But, well, uh, that's yeah. It it didn't weigh on me at all, to be honest. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. Now this you could abstain from, but uh, when they had the Benoit recall, did you vote to keep him in or or vote or to vote him out? Uh, I don't think I was voting then. That was oh, I think that was no. 
I don't know. Well, I think that was if it was three years. Maybe it was the year before then. Maybe I'm counting wrong. I don't, I don't recall. Or you abstained. Or you abstained <laughs> in the voting. But anyway, since I was just thinking of that with the invader thing. So anyway, who's next on your ballot? Uh, fabulous Moolah. Oh, okay. So this I want to hear about. <laughs> oh, are you against this? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like you know, there's no proof that she ever drew. I mean. I mean, you, I can see the argument that she's such a, a famous, you know, big historical figure throughout wrestling. I can understand that, but it, it, I just feel, it, you know, the whole so, there's the whole argument. Oh, you know, that she's the female Sky Lolo, I guess. Right. And well, I, then again, I know you would vote for Sky Lolo <laughs> in a heartbeat. <laughs> so, I, how do you feel about? I mean, do you feel is that sort of where you're going? That she just, you know that she was such a historic figure, even if she wasn't a drawer or anything? Well, uh, I mean, if you, you remember when I grew up, I'm, 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 a, ch- I'm a child of the 80s, um, and, and Fabulous Moolah, you know, in my mind, personifies women wrestling. Like, when you think, if you say, hey, who's a, women, a woman wrestler before the diva era or whatnot, you know, to maybe a casual wrestling fan, I think most of them would say, you know, or, hey, if I said to my buddies... You know, my, my, my buddies who know nothing about wrestling, hey, do you remember any women wrestling when you were a kid? They're going to say Fabulous Moolah. Right. And, um, that, you know, whether that was her as the marketing machine or Vince McMahon or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, that has to say something. You know, that has to say that, uh, you know, in the same terms of, you know, Hulk Hogan, obviously Hulk Drew, but um, that you were the figurehead of something. And and so and, – and she was older at that time. So in my mind, you know, obviously her career goes way back. And to me, it's like the time that she put in, obviously, she put in so much time in the world of wrestling um, as opposed to, you know, if you're going to put in, you know, I don't know, is Trish Stratus in? I don't know. Like, No, I mean, I think with the age and, you know, the, with the requirements, she's not eligible yet. Like, but you'd assume she would go in, yes or no? Uh, I don't know if people would vote for her. I mean, as far as, like, any, like, real modern female wrestler outside of Japan and re- any female wrestler from, you know, the last 10 years, I would say absolutely. I mean, I, I, I would certainly think about it. Right. I, I, I you know, it does, I, I haven't thought about it that much. But... So she, she did, you know, X amount of years, Fabulous Mula did, you know, was in wrestling and, you know, in my, you know, she laced up her boots and she, she entertained in a crowd and, and she, you know, wrist injury, which a lot of us did that, but she did it for so you know eight times as many years as Trish Stratus, and plus was the figurehead of women's wrestling. So uh, you know, and obviously being the champion, you know, like whether it means anything or doesn't, obviously means you know enough that she was you know had the strap on her and had a strap on in her. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait, what strap? Sorry, the, the belt. Sorry, uh, but yeah. So you know, uh, you know, that's kind of just my reasoning. I don't know. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to not wrestle, you know, vote for women. But you know, I saw Fabulous oh. <laughs> on there, and I uh, and I thought, man, she deserves it way more than some of these other people. Which is true, and I, I definitely get what you're saying about the name recognition. That, and I think that's you know a lot of a lot of people arguing about Big Daddy, which you know we'll get in. I guess we'll get into whenever, you, yeah, as we go further down. The uh, name recognition, I think, does mean a lot more than people give it credit for. Like someone, you know, someone like I, kind of a perfect example. Jake Roberts is, probably has more name recognition with the general public than most wrestlers in history. In history, I mean, a lot of it's the gimmick, but he was just such a. I mean, he was a huge star and a great worker and all that. And I, 
I think he that's the type he's someone that I think you know doesn't get enough consideration for a Hall of Fame the Hall of Fame. And he's not in it? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think he's been on the ba- I, I'm sure he was on the ballot at some point. I mean, I could check on that, but I don't I, I, I don't believe he's in and I, I, I mean, he's not on the ballot right now. So But in, as would, a, as a wrestler's in my perspective, like having that gimmick is just you know, like Brad Armstrong was, you know, the, one of the greatest wrestlers ever. But like, you know, I, he's—I don't think he—is he a Hall of Fame wrestler? I don't know. Is he in the Hall? Are you asking? Is he yeah. in the Hall of Fame? Is, or my opinion, no. No, right. And I'd assume he wasn't. He wouldn't be. And, and so, and that's just saying that, like, having a gimmick or having a recognizable gimmick or having anything that you can get over, you know, just outside your work rate alone is just as important in the world of professional wrestling. Um, otherwise, Brad Armstrong would be the number one. You know, he'd be in. He'd be in the Hall of Fame, and he'd be the champion. He'd be the number one wrestler. But the idea just to come up to have a snake in a bag, you know, is genius. Just in just as much as it is to to have a great drop toe hold or a great drop kick. I agree. I agree, hundred percent. And now looking it up, he was on the ballot in '98. Uh, got less than ten percent of the vote and dropped off. And hasn't been back on since. Although you know the way it works is that enough voters ask to put him to put someone back on the ballot, then he will. Who's that? Brad Armstrong or Jake the Snake? Jake Roberts. Jake Roberts. Oh. I don't think Brad Armstrong was ever on the ballot. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I mean, your your argument is yeah, just as I, I don't know if I'd vote like for Jake as much because you know he was never maybe that top top guy. Uh, you know, just like the Bushwhackers, you know, like obviously the Bushwhackers are some of the most known guys, but, you know, wrestling with the Rujos isn't, you know, it's awesome. They're amazing as, you know, the Sheepherders, but just that's going to get you only so far, I think. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it is, you know, at least the way that the criteria is spelled out, which is, well, at least the basic criteria it says is combination of drawing power, being a great in-ring performer, as well as having historical significance in a positive manner. A candidate should have something to offer in all three categories or be someone so strong in one or two of the categories that they deserve inclusion. But I, I do think that it should be a little more outside the box than that. And the way the way you're pushed, you know, is also, you know, a lot of this. In my mind, a lot of, um, you know, who I voted for was also based on the promoter, the booker, you know, like how they pushed them. Because, you know, Scotty, Scotty Goldman could be a Hall of Fame wrestler, but obviously the way Vince McMahon pushed him, you know, nobody's voting for Scotty Goldman. So, you know, it's up to the, it's up to the booker, the promoter, to, to how they get pushed. And in some, you know, in some instances, the wrestler was the booker or the promoter. So they pushed themselves very well. And so they came off as, as awesome wrestlers. Like fabulous Mua. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the who's who's next? All right, uh, I got two Wrestler more. The next one was uh, Pedro Morales. Okay, so this, uh, this is pretty much just the whole, just as the top, being the top guy and drawing on MSG and how much that means, or yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was, it was, it was right, like the his guard and stuff, and. Um, you know, much like Bruno, I guess, you know, representing his people. And, you know, I talked to Kerry a lot and uh, Kerry Silken, and, you know, and he and we try to pick his brain as much because he he went to like every Madison Square Garden show from like 1960 through like 1990 or something. I don't know. Or maybe uh, 19, 1970. I don't know. So, you know, he'd tell us how great Pedro was. And, um, uh, yeah, it was, you know, I guess a quote unquote representing, you know, the Puerto Rican people, but just being being the guy. 
Like it's always kind of fascinating when when he's the guy of the people, and uh, and he's kind of single handedly bringing them in because they want to see him win. And I and I've seen a lot of Pedro stuff, and I'm you know not not so much the later stuff, but the earlier stuff. I I loved I loved how he worked. I loved I loved that Puerto Rican fire as a, as a babyface. And, um, you know, that alone is he's, you know, in my mind, he was a fun, fun wrestler to watch. And then on top, you know, the what came with it, the champ, obviously the championships and the houses and 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 the prestige as the top guy in WWF or WWF. Yeah. I, when you hear people talk about him with the Hall of Fame, you know, on, online with, you know, I guess the various, you know, reporter historian voters, it's usually, you know, he did tremendously well at the garden and i don't know how well he did at the other arenas but the idea was that he didn't draw as well as you know as bruno did and you know i get you know in boston and in uh in, in philly but i don't think you know for all i've heard about this i don't think i've ever heard anyone say that he didn't draw there just that he didn't draw as well as bruno and the, and i guess and i guess maybe back on but so you know, it really does say a lot for being the top guy in New York back then. Yeah. Especially, you know, the more I read about it and, you know, wrestlers talking about, you know, just how much more money people made in that territory than everywhere else. <laughs> yeah. too. And, and at the end of the day, it's like, listen, I I wasn't there around for it, you know, and uh, so it's only, it's only what I've read and what I've heard. And, you know, so, uh, you know, if I was there at every single show, I, I'd be able to have a better idea of who to vote for or why to vote for him, but this is just one man's opinion, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I want, I'd always be curious to see his earlier stuff, because always hear, I always hear about, you know, like in Freddie Blassie's book, he talks about it, that I, I don't know if it was that he broke down or just that, you know, in the WWF, it was working more the WWF style like Bruno, but he was like the high-flying wrestler of the 60s. You know, and then Blassie brought you know said he was better than Edward Carpentier, and that's why he brought got him brought into New York because he was so good. Wow. Uh, so it's it's interesting that he actually you know he actually and that kind of goes to some of the other stuff we were talking about. He had so much more success as a kick punch guy. Yeah, chop and meat they call him. Yeah, that was so, Tony. That was Tony Atlas's big thing, chop and meat. <laughs> so who's up next? Uh, and then the last one I had in the modern era was uh, Rey Mysterio, Jr. <laughs> I think I hope I hope I voted for Rey Mysterio. Well, Jr. It's, if it's if it doesn't say Junior Senior, then I, the letter Y would I believe make the difference there. Yeah, M Y there. Yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, I guess a lot of it is basically on you know my era, not my era, but you know like as a smarter fan, I guess. But just watching him uh, really transcend wrestling, you know, that's kind of what I thought of as is the way those luchadors came in and just completely changed everything, especially in WCW. And, uh, but also I think changed the style of the independence and which in turn, the way the independence kind of, you know, uh, just, you know, that, that also now the guys that came from the independence that are now in the big times have a different outlook on it, but just, you know, with the high flying and being innovative and just not being kick punch, uh, you know, Mysterio was like the king. He was the master of that. It, it all, I, in my mind, it all stems from him, and uh, that's very important and important enough for me to to have him in the Hall of Fame. You know, to, to really just transcend wrestling. Yeah, I think he's a no-brainer, and I was amazed that he didn't get in either last year or the year before. It was his first. I think it was last year was his first year, and that I was amazed he didn't get in. 
I thought you'd go in with, you know, the huge, you know, rock, kabashi, liger level, you know, like 95% numbers. So I was, I was really surprised that he didn't get in because, you know, like everything you said plus, you know, in Mexico, in Mexico, you know, he did, you know, he had a certain degree of influence on who got pushed and the styles and whatnot. And, you know, Mystico was sort of based on having a Ray type on top and, you know, with WWE, you know, he was the key to them expanding into Mexico and, you know, they charge, you know, their regular high ticket prices, but you know, in Mexico, that's even bigger. I saw a friend of mine once said it's like they're drawing UFC money in Mexico, given the economy. Huh. So, yeah, yeah I, was, I, don't... I was just in Mexico this weekend. Oh, it... oh, right for the uh, was it? Wait, was this for pay per view taping or for the no TV two thing? Uh, neither. It was IWL two hundred fifty oh. people. <laughs> oh, was it, where was it? Was it in Tijuana? Mexico City. Oh, Mexico City. How'd you end up getting swinging that? Uh, through, um, uh, God, I would, through, uh, Kleinrock, who through, uh, I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about any of this. Just whatever, you know, whatever you think yeah. is appropriate. Well, that was curious. That was curious because was it just the one shot? Uh, well, I'm going back in, in October, I think. So I wrestled, uh, Scrap Iron Adam Pierce, and then, uh, uh-huh. next time I'm going to work, I'm going to wrestle Blue Demon. Oh, so is it tied into like the NWA Mexico? Thing? No, not at all. It just had oh. so happy. Yeah, I was supposed to wrestle Paul London, but who who'd have thunk Paul London uh, was a little iffy, and nobody could hear back from him. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh well, yeah. So that was the last one. The I followed Modern American Wrestling. Was, yeah, palette. So you. So next up is Europe. So. Who did you vote for from the European candidates? Uh, well, I'll just say them both. I, I voted for Rocco and Johnny Saint. And um, Oh, you didn't end up voting for Big Daddy. I did not. I did not. And that's why I was saying I, he was so awful. <laughs> like, he was He was the man. He was, you know, he, it, for that, you know, and it wasn't like 20 years. But, you know, obviously they said the Queen, you know, was a Big Daddy fan. And, uh, you know, Saturdays afternoons at, you know, four, you, you went home and you watched Big Daddy. But he was just so awful, and uh, you know, I, I, I mean, it, he was the king. But like, just as a wrestler's wrestler, it's just so hard to say, you know, just a belly bump and have you know your you know have uh, have Liger bump for you, you know, the whole match, and then come in and belly bump someone. Just I don't I don't know. I, I couldn't I didn't have the heart to to vote him in. <laughs> so. I just feel like he's such a, he was such a big star. Yeah. That even if he wasn't a great worker, you know, he had comic strips and everything. I don't know. I but I I can see the other side too. But I don't know. It is kind of a difficult one because I guess there's no one else who's so bad <laughs> that could have a shot getting in. Right. I mean, and, and, and- in, in and, the spirit of the Wrestling Observer, it's just like, you know, in the spirit, the Wrestling Observer has always been known in my mind as, you know, the smart wrestling fans, you know, Bible or whatever. And just, you know, to, the way he wrestled, just, ugh. <laughs> it does, you know, having talked to the guys who were his tag team partners influence things at all? Um, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I, I talked to Brookside a, a lot about it, and, and you know, he would just say how awful he was. Yeah. 
and, and just as a person. And a couple of the other guys, like um, there was a, there's a wrestler named uh, I want to say Jake Mulligan, Jack Mulligan. No. Oh, the British Black Jack Mulligan. Yeah, but then uh, his name was Jake though. Jack, uh, I know he did. He did. I think he did wrestle as Black Jack Mulligan. Yeah. Well, there was a guy named that they, 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 they that was over there named Jake the Fake. That was he was famous for. <laughs> and um, he was known for putting on the tribute shows, you know, all that stuff back in the early '90s. Oh, of course. The but UK he, Undertaker. Yeah. Campaign. And the UK Road Warriors. But he he had a son. This is good stuff. He had a son, and his son had been wrestling 12 years, and I did a bunch of shows with him. But the only wrestling name he had ever had for twelve years was the was the Undertaker. <laughs> so he wrestled as the Undertaker. He didn't have any other gimmicks. He was just because it was this guy's son. So obviously he started you know doing these shows, and then he just continued as the as the Undertaker. Uh, so he wrestles as the Undertaker. So he would tell me some stuff about you know Daddy and and uh, and Brookside Wood and a couple of the other guys. But yeah, they just said he was. Uh, it was just so awful, and, and just uh, when kids would come around, he would just be so grossed out by it. And it's almost like Kirby Puckett was my hero in baseball as a kid, just my hero. And then you hear some of the stories about him. I don't know how familiar you are with, with baseball, but just you hear some stories about him and just how, like, uh, there was an article in, in Sports Illustrated how, like, he would just get home from the hospitals and he would just be, like, throwing up and he would just be, like, swearing off these children. He was just so disgusted by just the sight of children. And that's almost – that's how Big Daddy's portrayed as, is just the sight of children made him gross. Now, I, again, I don't know – you know, this could all be hearsay and, I, and you know, I hope it's not true. And, I, and I'm sorry if I'm shedding a bad light if, they were, if it wasn't true, you know. But, yeah. uh, but man, you just hear how awful he was and um, – and uh, Brookside told me how, how mean Kellett was. And then obviously I read a bunch about that. Unless Kellett's one of my favorites. But also one of my one of my favorites, of all, almost my favorite of all time, was Vic Faulkner, a guy named Vic Faulkner. He was one of the Royal brothers, uh, him and Burt Royal. And then for some – I always thought, thought it was funny that it was the Royal brothers and it was Burt Royal and Vic Faulkner um, <laughs> <laughs> with different names. But uh, – uh, Vic Faulkner wrestled. Kind of, I'm very influenced by the way he wrestles too. Is a very technical, uh, but with a smile on his face and, and and doing you know fun stuff and always chatting with the crowd. Um, but I was told what a mean person he was too and how how awful he was. So like, it's almost like hearing that kind of stuff just breaks your heart. Uh, so I mean, but you know that's again you know I wasn't around for it. You know I wasn't I wasn't there to witness it. You just hear it in stories. So as a wrestler, I try to make sure my tales are, are as nice as can be. So. When it's passed down from generation to generation, you know, I'm not known as that asshole or anything. But, uh, yeah, so, but, uh, so I didn't vote for, for Big Daddy. I couldn't, I just, my, my heart wouldn't let me do it. So you did, so you said you did vote for Mark Rocco and Johnny Saint. And I, now, okay, I am curious, just, is it just pretty much just how good they were in the ring? Or have you heard stories about? How they drew, or is it just you know? Since in England, there's not a lot of knowledge about that. That you just kind of discard all of that. Yeah, well, I, you know, I wrestled for for Brian Dixon's All Star Wrestling, and and, and All Star Wrestling was basically, um, it was basically Brian Dixon was was the biggest Mark Rocco fan of all time. So Mark Rocco was like his ace. That was his number one guy for the most part. You know, um, you know, and uh, and so. Um, but so he was, you know, he basically was the head of, of All-Star Wrestling, although um, Dixon did tell me one of his bigger draws wasn't necessarily Rocco. It was, um, oh, I'm trying to think, a big Canadian named John. What was his last name? Oh, John Quinn. 
John Quinn, yeah. He, he was saying how, how much John Quinn was a great draw. And it was interesting to hear from the horse's mouth, you know, like that John Quinn made him a lot of money and he was very happy with John Quinn. But uh, his favorite, he, he always said, was Rocco. And uh, also, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, he was so good at that when Liger came over or when um, Sayama came over, you know, the guy that Sayama noticed and noted to come over was Rocco. And, you know, basically, you know, like Regal will say that all that style is basically taken from from the British style and then brought over to Japan. And and that Rocco was the guy he chose for Black Tiger for the most from what I you know, in my in my mind, that's I think what it is, and um, and that he was that good of a wrestler, and then he also made that much money not only you know not only in Japan, but he also uh, you know made money just all over in those random uh, European countries. But was also the face of you know not the face, but was a known face um, in the European wrestling for so long, and was such a, a hard worker and such an innovator, and uh, you know. I don't know. I, I I have nothing bad to say. You know, I have so many good things to say about Rocco that I he's got to be in the Hall of Fame for me. And Johnny seen pretty much the same thing. Um, but but also, yes, but also in the terms of just his style uh, of wrestling, it's just it, for me a guy who who always wants who always just wants to get away from the cookie cutter style of what you see on television today, which just you know drives me nuts. Um, there's a lot of punch kick guys and whatever, and it's just like he was something. So completely different, and, and um, actually, when I when I wrestled him in England, you know, I asked him about. Uh, um, oh God, I'm losing my mind. Who do they always say he was trained by? Uh, kid. Uh, oh, George. George Kid. Yeah, you know, I I, I tried to, you know, I, I tried to ask him as much as I could without coming off like a schmuck. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, he told me that he barely even knew George Kid, and uh, and you know, that was all just a, something that the announcers just said, just you know, to, to pass it on. So it's not like George Kidd taught him all that. You know, I don't really know the backstory on where, you know, he got the tricks from. But, I mean, the, all, there were so many of those guys in the day doing those tricks, but um, it's like he was the king of those tricks, you know, and, and just uh, – and he was so good at it, and he was obviously in shape and, and could go, could go, go, go for so long. So just him being completely innovative, different style, uh, or it, it, if he didn't innovate the style, he – brought it to the forefront, you know, and he was the best at it. So there you go. I was, I was wondering a little bit, when was the first time that you ever saw British wrestling, a tape of British wrestling? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a funny story. It's, it's not, I don't know if it's funny, but, uh, back in the IWA mid South shows in 2000 and 2001 in Clarksville, uh, Indiana, um, uh-huh. home of blood and guts. And, you know, uh, Everybody killing themselves. There was a, a little influx of, of regular wrestling between my, you know, myself, Punk, Ace, uh, BJ, you know, Kickboxer and Tarek and uh, Chris Hero. And Chris Hero has always been the uh, what a student of wrestling he's always been. And uh, somehow Chris Hero had his got his hands on this Johnny uh, this Johnny Saint stuff. Um, I think based off he's told the story. I think based off of James Mate, he saw a Michinoku Pro tape um, at Shirley Doe's house, who was a wrestler in Pittsburgh. Um, from Michinoku Pro, and he was like, oh, my God, who is this guy? Like, he does awesome stuff. And Shirley Doe was like, well, you think, uh, you know, you think James Mason is cool. Wait till you see Johnny Saint. So then uh, Hero was introduced to Johnny Saint, and then Hero would always bring tapes into the locker room, and we'd just sit and watch before the matches or after the matches or whatever, and he would have that stuff on. And when I saw it, kind of my first impression was like, ah, this is stupid and looks like dancing. 
And, uh, you know, I don't know because I was brought in, you know, I was trained, I wasn't trained in Memphis, but I was trained Memphis style because my trainers were trained, um, by, uh, the trainers at Windy City Wrestling, the Windy City Wrestling trainers, you know, were trained by guys from Memphis and AWA, uh, Sam DeCiro and stuff. So, you know, I was very Memphis influenced. So it was like, it was very hard for me to, to open, you know, be my own person. I was very under the influence of my trainers at that time. And you'll find that a lot in wrestling. So at first I was like, this is stupid. I, I don't like this at all. I don't get it. Um, and that was the main key. I didn't get it. And then when I went over to England, uh, I remember the first couple days of the, you know, when I stayed there for like three months, um, I sat down and watched a bunch of their wrestling uh, with a bunch of British wrestlers and, and people from England. And they sat down and just explained it all to me, really. You know, why this is happening, who's this famous for, why they have the rules, what's going on. And from there, I really appreciated it. And that's kind of where my love grew for it. Was to have to, it was to have to be, it had to have been explained to me, really, by the people of England. Now, do you think that you would, like, at the very beginning, do you think you would have been into it a little more if you hadn't started wrestling yet? Like, if you were ju- just a fan? Like, just because you did, wouldn't necessarily have the, oh, this is wrong reaction as much? Uh, I don't know. I don't know because as a wrestling fan, my, and my, remember my rest, almost like my wrestling fans days stopped when I was 18 and I started training because, uh, and you'll see a lot of this, a lot of the people are like, Oh, don't be a mark. You know, you're done watching wrestling as a fan. And I was like, Oh my God. All right. I can't watch as a fan anymore. Yeah. This is all stupid. You know, cause so many people would say that they'd be like, Oh, that's stupid now. You know, like. This is how, you know, this is how it is. This is how it works. So, like, unfortunately, my days of, like, hardcore fanness um, uh, kind of stopped when I was 18. And the stuff I liked, you know, I, I liked as a kid, you know, I don't know, Junkyard Dog and just, you know, Killer Bees. Like, whoever just kind of stood out. So, you know, I don't know if I'd fall in love with Steve Gray. He was a very vanilla guy, you know, character-wise. Uh, but when, you, when you've been in the ring so many times and then you watch it and appreciate it, uh, it's just a whole new level, you know, just a whole new level of everything for me. So it's it's a hard question to ask. Um, I do know, you know, I liked the luchadors and stuff as a teenager, and that was different. But, you know, I don't really know. I never dissected it by any means. I don't know why I liked anything or why I didn't, you know. And I never was like, oh, this work rate's horrible. You know, I wasn't – I didn't know anything about any of that. I just liked what I liked. Yeah, I just yeah, just curious because you know you do you know you would always hear stories about you know wrestlers, you know talking bad about lucha style or whatever. Which I mean, less now I guess, but you know I'd older ima- wrestlers and I'd imagine it. Not, yeah, I'd imagine in '98 and, and 2000 it was probably, and maybe to an extent, you know, uh, you know when they came over for ECW, I'd imagine it was yeah, like what are these guys doing in in our American wrestling? I'd imagine. Right. right. So. Now I'm just looking at the uh, anybody guys on the yeah anybody in Europe that you want you're not sure I don't remember yeah, well yeah I was gonna well I guess I'm trying to well I guess Mick McManus is the big one I would ask well Mick McManus and Jackie Palo and then and maybe Kendo Nagasaki just for fun <laughs> um I, I, an extent came to like where you know where does this I guess that's the question for everyone where does it start and where does it stop you know like mm-hmm. who do you let in who you, who you don't let in or who do you vote for who you don't vote for um, Jackie Palo uh, I read his book and I was almost disgusted by it. Yeah. And, and so, did you read his book? No, uh, I haven't. Uh, what's it called? You grunt, I groan. Yeah, you grunt, I groan. It was just basically like it was in like ninety ninety or I don't know. It was early and it was based. 
I know a lot of cafe books are around and there's a lot of books where they expose it, but apparently he was like the first to really, really expose it. And, and just, you know, because, uh, he wasn't being used anymore and, um, you know, like he was kind of bitter and upset. So it it was just like, well, I I have no way to make money. So I'm just going to expose what gave me money for so long. And I know that has nothing to do with, you know, I guess why you should vote for him, but it really gave me just, just reading his book. It's interesting because it's his book. And just, you know, it's he's putting himself the way he wants to be, you know, per, uh, the way he, he wants to be seen. And just uh, reading it, I was just disgusted by him, like really sickened by him. Uh, but in saying that, it's an interesting book to read from that vantage point. So uh, Jackie Palo, I scratched off my list out of out of distaste for him. Um, McManus, right. I know he was, you know, he was one of the head guys. Uh, um I don't know. I it's just it's not it wasn't dislike. Um I I just in my eyes he wasn't Johnny Saint and he wasn't as he wasn't the workhorse that Mark Rocco was. Although he, he you know he he was a a hard worker and I, you know I don't know. He just he didn't stand out. He, like he was good, you know, and when I when I watched and I've seen a I've seen a lot of McManus matches. He was good um in my mind but just nothing near the Nothing, you know. I, I don't watch. I don't study Mick McManus, you know, and I don't study, uh, you know, uh, Logan, Steve Logan. You know, I, I've seen their stuff, but I don't study it by any means. You know, guys that are different and and were by, ahead of their time are the guys that I studied and I enjoyed. And for that, you know, Rocco and Saint stand out, not so much McManus or or Jackie Paolo. And then Keno Nagasaki, uh, you know, I I don't know. Maybe he should go in for uh, for uh, hypnotizing Regal, you know, uh, <laughs> on that alone. But uh, you know, he was, I guess, right. The uh, there was that that author that loved him or whatever. But I don't know. The sh- the shitty gear maybe you know <laughs> maybe turned me off. Well, of the big star types, so you know, Big Daddy, Giant Haystacks, Kendo Nagasaki, Jackie Palo. Mick McManus, who would who if you had to vote for one of them, who would you go with? I, if I ha- I guess you know I voted for who I voted for, but I get you know if you're gonna say that I guess you know my next vote you know would be Daddy I guess I was on I was on the the teeter totter, but you know if you're gonna say who the big stars you know he was the other in my mind he was the biggest you know it's not like I was there watching or in the era, but in, in my mind he was the biggest star of them all, um, you know thanks to his brother, but. Again, that's the promoter making someone, you know. So next up are the non wrestlers. So who did? So who did you pick here? Okay, uh, don't. I, I knew saying this, I, I'd almost. And not, by the no, way, let me just interrupt you for a second, because for people who aren't familiar, non wrestlers is sort of what you're judging them by. So like, there are guys here like Lou Albano and Jared Jarrett and Gorilla Monsoon who are wrestlers, but you're judging them for their non wrestling endeavors. Managers, announcers, promoters, etc. So go ahead. Uh, not even knowing that anyone was going to ask me, or you were even going to ask me to do this, or uh, I, I took a gulp at this one, but I just had to. And my and my first one was Gorilla Monsoon. Um, I know a lot of people. I guess a lot of people, you know, shit on Gorilla Monsoon. I, I guess for his commentating, but in my mind, uh, him and Heenan were awesome, and that was the voice of what I grew up on. Uh, uh, you know, and so in my so I had to as a fan, you know, as a wrestling fan, and when what I know of wrestling, 
uh, Gorilla Monsoon is his voice is implemented in my head for forever, you know. So uh, I chose him. <laughs> and he was and he was a pretty important backstage figure as a booker and stuff in WWF. Yeah, I mean, I didn't vote on any. That was for no reason. <laughs> I know, I'm just saying. I'm just <laughs> to, saying. to help me justify it a little bit. <laughs> well, one thing I thought was interesting I, that I never heard until recently about his commentary was, you know, especially you'd really read about in the Observer and the other newsletters more. I mean, because I guess you know, fans who grew up with it like us, they always liked him. Yeah. And I was curious, you know, it was just always more, you know, I guess generic descriptions, and then I read something that Dave Meltzer posted on his message board a while back that you know, the heel wrestlers in WWF in the 80s would always call him to complain about Monsoon because they said that Monsoon was always killing their heat because uh-huh. they said, at least in, you can tell me if this is something they kept on, you know, in more recent WWF style, but at least back then, no one ever won with submissions, so when he said, oh, he's not, you know, he's not going to submit, he'll never quit, blah, 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 you know, because th- the baby faces would never give up, he'd always, you know, he'd kill their heat. And then when they wouldn't hook the leg on a pin, and he said, oh, you can't beat a man like that, he'd kill their heat, because at least back then, the w- style they were taught as the WWF style was that they would not hook the leg on the near falls, they'd only hook the leg on the finish. Which I thought was interesting. I mean, yeah, he was trying to get over by himself, but I mean, I I wouldn't necessarily think about that when voting. But I thought it was interesting. Yeah, um, you know, when I was up there in the system, one of the big things was um, one of Vince McMahon's big thing was hooking the leg, mm-hmm. and it was like every single pin had to be a, a leg hook, and it had to be solid. It had to be a like look like a falsy. And that was his big thing that was sent down all the way to developmental was was how important hooking the leg is and having a tight hook of the leg, um, which I, which is you know interesting how it goes from Monsoon saying that to now, you know how that's one of the most important things when teaching your your young wrestlers. Um, uh, but yeah, it, uh, I've made complaint not complaints but have asked people throughout my whole career you know how important um, not, you know the announcer's job is to help or hurt the match. And, uh, but I, you know, again, I was just eight years old when, when I heard Gorilla Monsoon and that's just the voice of wrestling to me. Uh, it was hard for me to dissect whether, you know, he hurt the heels heat or not. I had no, you know, I don't know. And I heard nothing of, uh, I've never heard of that. I like you said recently, and I don't remember what it was, but you know, um, I mean, I don't go on, on Dave's message board or anything, but I, I don't know where it comes from. Um, but yeah, I've heard some slacking on how Monsoon's uh, announcing wasn't that good, and it wasn't until a couple of years ago, I think. But in my mind, he's the man, you know. I agree. <laughs> uh, uh, and then, and then, what, I'll, I'll transition that to my second, uh, to my second vote for non-wrestlers, uh, which also goes into the I followed Europe candidates. I think I'm not sure. Uh, Ken Walton. Yeah, he's a. I think he's a no-brainer. This is his first year on the ballot, and I, th- I think you know, you know. Him, you know, Gordon Soley, Lance Russell, you know, were all so important to eat the promotions they called that I think he's just a no-brainer. And he was just tremendous, too. Yeah, and, I, you know, I don't know how many people – my my only my only uh, fear is I don't know how many people know Ken Walton, you know. Uh, that, that was my only fear yeah. in voting for him is that, God, I hope everybody else knows how great he is because 
Um, the simplicity, it's almost like it's uh, announcing is so complex, but at the end of the day, the, simpli- the simplicity of it is. And um, why I felt I, I thought I did good in Florida Championship Wrestling and why it wasn't a hard transition for me, even though obviously I didn't continue it, was it's really just um, it's calling common sense and just calling it how you see it and just explaining it. And he was so good at just at just breaking it down, you know, uh, that he was the best. He just broke it down for the average viewer, and it was just common sense to him. You know what happened? He would just say it, you know, and uh, and it just made in the way he presented it as a sport. And uh, and again, he was he was the face and the or he was the voice of wrestling, uh, you know, world of sport wrestling for uh, I don't know the years, but you know, up until eighty uh, seven, I guess, you know, maybe. Fifty six did it start? I'm not really sure. But it, it was the whole run, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was right. He was the voice of World of Sport Wrestling. So just like Real Monsoon was my voice of wrestling, Ken Walton was the voice of every single England, British, anyone who even just watched wrestling once. You know, that's who you thought of. You thought of him calling the calling the action. Yeah, and, and, he, was, and he was great at it. He he really was. And I I read man like a week or so ago that. A lot of the names for holds and moves were just names that he he made up on the fly, and that they became like the established names of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard that too. Uh, and when I think of that, I use always use called a, a three and one. Um, I, I think I heard he made that up. Which one was that? I don't uh, remember that. Three one. and one is uh, Johnny Saint used a three and one a lot, where he would um, he would hook the right leg on his opponent's left leg. Uh, um, like an abdominal stretch, he would put his left leg over the wrestler's head, and uh, then he and then he would stretch the right the guy's right arm. So it almost looks like an octopus with an arm stretch. Maybe maybe it is. Oh, that 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 yeah, yeah yeah. And that's a three and one. But uh, basically, it was anything that had three different submissions on at one time uh, was a three and one. You know, it came out of anything. But it was I think the most famous one was um, was Johnny Saints octopus variation. I guess. One that uh, stuck out for me was the, you know, everything that was sort of, like, the different things that, I guess, when someone would get hooked under the arms with any kind of hold or pinning combination, it was always called, like, a something Nelson. Like, it was always compared to a full Nelson, which sort of makes sense, you know, if, you know, for, if you're connecting it to amateur wrestling or whatever, that it would sort of grow out of that. Actually, um, hey, I'm going to do a quick plug, actually. Yes. Um, cause I have a shirt that I have a lot in stock because I ordered an extra bunch by accident, but it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, well, interesting story. When I was in, when I was in WWE, the guy that made me the shirt was like, Hey, I'm going to send you a bunch of shirts just cause I have them. And I thought he was going to send me the Coca-Cola ones, but he sent me these UK ones that I only sold on a tour, a limited edition. But the back, the front of it is, uh, it's the world of science. It's the world of sport. Uh, but it has the, it says world of Colt with Cabana Rama headband on it. But the back, it says, um, Says arm lever dot 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 rolling crotch dot 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 three and one dot 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 folding press dot 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 good times great memories and uh, those are on my site for for ten bucks but um, those were like four of my favorite European uh, the moves that he would call rolling crotch and folding press and the arm lever and again that's all Ken Walton so tie that. I was surprised you didn't put on crotch holds, lift, and slam. Or was it just you didn't want to put on two crotches? Yeah, too, too many. Uh, I didn't want to put too many oddly uh, sexual explicit things on one T-shirt. <laughs> and they are available in large, extra large, and 2XL. Yeah, good. Good man. 
So that and that's only ten dollars. And what else do we also you have in your back stock? You also have the Cult Horse Gun Good Times shirt. Yeah, those. Uh, that guy made me like a million two X's. I don't know why. So those are I got two X's available. <laughs> okay, and anyway, now going back to the Hall of Fame stuff. So. Who did, were, did you vote for any more of the non-wrestlers? Yeah, or that I, it for the uh, I've got one more. Who uh, I put in. I'm not very familiar, uh, but I am. Uh, I put Don Owen in. Okay. Uh, I voted Don Owen, and a lot of it based off of um, what, whatever I've read and some of the wrestlers I've talked to over the years who wrestled for him uh, have said that he was – the best promoter to work for. So I guess as a wrestler um, who enjoys good promoters, uh, I put Don Owen. And then also, you know, Portland stayed around and had their own thing. And I, it's like, um, you know, I, as a guy who just wished, I guess, you know, territories were still around. Like, you know, I, I really commend him for all of that. So uh, for that, uh, I put Don Owen in. I, lo- I love watching and reading about Portland and like with, with what you said about, you know, wishing territories were still around. You know, one, one thing that I've read about a few times was that the structure of the territory really lended itself to young wrestlers because there were, by the way, that's a train that you keep hearing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the structure of the territory, you know, they kept a small roster at a time. You know, the TV, though, was the weekly house show in Portland, so they didn't really have job guys. But, you know, there were only so many wrestlers on the card that every, you know, even if you came in as a prelim guy, you had a chance to get a push because there were only so few guys on the roster. And, you know, the same thing with the Booker, it was great experience because you had to be creative, you know, to keep, you know, to really, you know, come back and keep drawing you know, with, you know, the same, you know, the same guys paired up, you know, for weeks and weeks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was, and it was, so it was this great place to learn for everyone. And I, you know, for the size of the territory, I've read the paid very well, or should I say that he paid honestly. So he paid in, in, so thus he paid very well for the size right. of the territory. Right. <laughs> you know, like, uh, Buddy Rose, I think, you know, in a small territory, he had $100,000 years at the peak. Yeah, which is, you know, a guy like me who's, you know, meant to be, you know, uh, a globetrotter and, a, you know, just a traveling man. You know, that's all I could ever wish for. You know, I wish that was, you know, that I knew I'd have, you know, 25 years in some territory and I wouldn't be scared about my future. But uh, so, you know, I, it's something and I knew I'd thrive on something like that. You know, not not necessarily in a world where everybody's looks like Batista or Randy Orton, but where a guy like Bright like Buddy Rose can can march around and you know and and based off his natural charisma can make a lot of money. Have you seen the where Buddy Rose turned babyface? Oh yeah. Is that awesome? Never, what? Yeah, I, where all the fans run in the ring. Uh, yeah. it gives me chills every time I watch that. Go YouTube that guys if you haven't. I'm sure you have, but whatever. Yeah, that is, it, it's great. I, yeah. I, I really love Buddy Rose though. He, <laughs> he was just so good, I mean, you know. Just every and he was, a, you know, he was a great babyface too. I mean, he spent most of the time as a heel, but you know, for that year or so that he was a face, was just great stuff too. And you know, he, you know, like what you were talking about, you know, he was so athletic for his size. And, you know, he had, you know, that a, he's a guy that 
I don't know if you. I, I, maybe I'm wrong in saying that someone wouldn't necessarily think would, but you know, he he was able to have great matches with Dynamite Kid. You know, it was a different, very different style, and you know, it was just able to be on top of that territory for years. I I, I heard something recently. Uh, I'm not going to say from who, but um, just a guy who's in charge who's just said uh, uh, something that just how much you know having a and obviously this isn't WWE, but. Uh, having a having a, a body just isn't important. Just uh, natural charisma is is what's important in selling tickets or being you know whatever. And it just I, I never I've always thought that I've never heard it said that way. And to me, it just makes so much sense. And he's a guy you know, Buddy Rose is a guy with just that natural charisma that people uh, you know relate to or spark to or, or they see something in it or they can see it's not phony you know. And uh, and for that he you know he had a great long run and. And despite not having a six pack or not having a tribal tattoo, he was able, you know, to do well for himself. I don't know about that though, because haven't you heard that in WWE you make money with your face? Oh, <laughs> Buddy Rose is cute. He's <laughs> like a cabbage patch. <laughs> I, I like having Bret Hart's book. He described him as looking like Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, see, or shaped like Winnie the Pooh. Oh, well. Yeah. Although that 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 wasn't as good though as though my favorite thing in the Bret Hart's book is how he talks about how Barbarian was like a was like a muscled up version of Grover from Sesame Street. <laughs> I'm picturing with the crown on. Yeah. I uh, it's been I, I couldn't I don't know I so much of me wants to read Bret's book. Uh, a being you know a fake historian, not really, but you know why? <laughs> you know my history of wrestling, yeah. uh, but B that was the time you know I grew up on for the most part. I wanted to hear those stories, but like seven hundred, like I hate reading. Boy, do I hate reading! And like seven hundred pages, just like I can't well, start. It's not that long. It's more like you know five something, but it's uh-huh. it, it, it's not it's not a hard read. I mean, it's actually you know. It, it it you have to read it. It is my favorite wrestling book. Yeah, I know. I want to so bad, but it's just so scary to to think that I'm going to commit. I have a fear of commitment, also. So to, <laughs> to think that I'm going to commit to the start of that is just rough. Yeah, uh, but I would highly recommend it. Anyone who has not read it in general should read that. But let's see. So maybe just go through some of the guys you didn't vote for. Maybe some of the more notable or more t- argued about on message board ones or. Maybe let's see. Maybe even guys you've worked with. Well, well, here's a question: Who on the ballot ha- have you worked with? I don't have the ballot in front of me, so I don't know. Well, let's see. Well, I'm trying to think. Uh... Okay, wait. Oh, I just saw someone, then I forgot. Um... Is it Chucky Smooth? Oh, Sabu. Sabu. Oh. You never worked with Sabu? Yeah, I just wrestled him the other day. Oh, you did. You did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you said no. That's why. I... Yeah. It was a... So, well, yeah. What do you think of Sabu as a Hall of Famer? Uh, a lot of the guys, it was like, um, and the only reason I say Mysterio is because Mysterio's impact, well, I guess Sabu's impact was that long ago, but to me, it was on a smaller scale in ECW. Like, there's no denying, you know, what he did for wrestling, I guess, but I think Mysterio did the same thing, but just on a larger, larger, larger scale, um, and again, you know, there's there's only X amount of people I could put in. But for me, a guy Sabu is I'd vo- you know I I'd probably vote him in in 15 years. You know, like uh, when you can look back at his body of work, 
but to right. me, to me, it's it's just kind of too early. Like, and, and same with like guys like Edge. I don't know if he was on, but like, yeah, there's guys like Edge and Jericho, and it's just like it's in my mind, it's like too early to start voting them in. Like, you know, give you know, just like a baseball where you where it's got to be five years afterwards. You know, like or it's for me, it's a lot. You got to let him sink it in. The only reason I didn't do Mysterio is because it's almost like he's a no brainer. Yeah, you know, like that. But it, it has been five years since he did. He changed the industry so much and it was so important to wrestling. Did you ever work with Jimmy Snuka? Uh, no, I've shared a bunch of locker rooms with him. He wants, uh, uh, I, when I think of Jimmy Snuka, I, I think of, uh, um, there's this guy who did, uh, the, the old timer, uh, Jeff King. He does a gimmick in Michigan where he just portrays his, it's, it, it was, it's not what Matt classic was based off of, but it's very similar to Matt classic, but he doesn't have a hood. And I think Jeff was kind of upset when he saw that Matt classic was on WSX. Um, but I remember Jimmy Snuka like loving his gimmick because this guy, you know, Jeff King was like I don't know twenty five and he was doing, you know, I go town to town, blah, blah, blah. and uh, Jimmy Snuka said that the old timers would always um, they would wet their their uh, their canvas um, they would wet their canvas uh, trunks before they wrestled. They would soak them in water so they would fit more to their body. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why that stuck out, but I just remembered that. I thought that was an interesting tidbit that you'd probably never hear anywhere, and for no reason would you ever hear it. But I thought that was fun. Perfect for the art of wrestling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's see. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure how many of the other guys you would have uh, worked with besides Sabu. I don't know. Well, yeah, well, again, you would have shared a locker room with Rock and Roll Express at least at the gathering of the Juggalos. Well, he was my trainer. Uh... Uh, Robert Gibson and I, oh tra- right, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, that you were in OVW when he was, and he would and he told people, you know, uh, he told me that uh, he was convinced that when you are in the in the turnbuckle and um, a guy charges you and you lift your feet up and then you wrap them underneath the, your opponent's um, arms and then roll forward, uh, if you can visualize that, he told me for a fact that that was an O'Connor roll. And uh, I tried to argue and tell him <laughs> that it's just a sunset flip out of the corner, Mr. Gibson. And uh, he said, no, it's an O'Connor roll. Uh, I'm the trainer. I would know this. And uh, that sums up my OVW experience. <laughs> Did he try to teach anyone the Gibson leg lock? No, was there a Gibson leg lock? Yeah, you've never seen the Gibson leg lock? I, I might have. I don't know. It's like he does like this inside toll hold thing and then bridges back over the yes. guy and pins him. Yes, yes, yes. Wait, so he did try to teach it or you know what it is? Nah, he would do it. He would do it. Yeah, no, I, I see him do it when he tried to impress people. Like when people were doing <laughs> stuff that he couldn't do and he was like, oh, shit. Can you oh, do Oh, shit, this? these guys are better than me. I got I to gotta outdo them. He would, he would throw that on. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Wow. That's tremendous. Uh, and I think – uh, for me getting to know Robert and for him telling me that an O'Connor roll was a sunset flip, uh, I think for that reason alone, I, I, I didn't vote for the Rock and Roll Express. Well, that's perfectly understandable. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> wow. Uh, wrestling. So let me just see who else. So, and you know, so you, so you mentioned already that, you know, with the, pretty much the current guys who aren't no-brainers like Mysterio you don't feel like voting for yet, which I understand. Uh, I just think who else is notable or talked about? Dick Murdoch, since he's always a topic of discussion as being sort of the 
the guy, one of the guys who Dave Meltzer said he used to think of as the the line that if you were a stronger candidate than him, you then you were all a famer. But if you weren't a stronger candidate, you weren't. And well, he also had Wahoo McDaniel as the same level until Wahoo McDaniel got voted in. But I'm curious your thoughts on Dick Murdoch. Uh, you know, uh, Dusty would always put him over like a million bucks, you know, um, but obviously, but, uh, you know, I, I just can't say that I'm, I, I'm so, I, I mean, I've obviously seen his stuff, but I, can't, I just can't say that I'm like that familiar with, and that like, that, you know, that I'm that, that I know in my heart of heart that he should be in the Hall of Fame, that I should vote for him. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, and he was never portrayed in my mind as just this top, top, top guy. Uh, although, you know, you hear about how nasty he was and how awesome he was. And I've seen, you know, I've seen his stuff and his stuff in Japan. But, um, he, again, he's right. He's a great – it's a great analogy. He's a great line. He's a, you know, he's a great marker. Um, and, unfortunately, he's at the Mendoza line for you baseball fans. You know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just didn't, you know. Now, did you was it just that there was no one on the Japanese list this year that you f- felt like voting for, or I've did you never, just, just not to vote for, or just you're, you never watched that much Japanese wrestling? Yeah, I might have. There, I, I did skip over some stuff, and I might just not be. I, I'm not an expert by any means, uh, or feel I'm, um, or felt that I was. You know, I had enough knowledge of Japanese wrestling that I could decide the fates in the Observer Hall of Fame. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I must have just stuck, you know, stayed with the guys that I, you know, it was more, I, I voted in the guys that I, I more felt that, in, that I knew that I thought should be in as opposed to, oh, I hear these guys are good, maybe they should be in. It was the guys that I was confident that I thought in my mind should go in. Uh, well, I guess same thing with the historical era candidates. Was there anyone that you felt comfortable with voting for was it you know if you had more information or that you just didn't feel like at your age or whatever that you didn't feel you should vote for that any of them or what yeah again that's a good way to put it is my age you know you know uh, I, i'm just i'm not just you know I'm, I'm 30 so like uh you know and i've, I've read a bunch of stuff and you know I, I i do my you know i do my homework and uh but it's just I don't know. I, a lot of it feels like I wasn't there and I don't know anyone that was there that I could have asked or that I, you know, that I have asked or, uh, but I just don't feel that I'm, uh, that I'm the guy to, to vote for, to persuade or not persuade. So I, I chose not to. Yeah. Actually looking at this year's historical performers, you know, a lot of them are guys that, you know, that, you know, especially, you know, or especially, you know, pre videotape you know, or not widely available on videotape guys. So, you know, just, you know, so even if, you know, someone who watched a lot of tapes like me or you would not have seen, you know, have seen either the prime or that much in general, or most of these guys, like, you know, the assassins, you know, you know, I guess, well, they were, it wasn't the originals, anything that we would have seen. It's all based, it's all based on legend too. You know, it just depends who told the story, who told the person who told that, who wrote it down. Like, you know, so it's hard. I, I mean, if you want to do the Hall of Fame based on legend, you know, the legend of, but it's just, uh, you know, there could have been a completely different story of how great somebody was that was never told. And, you know, I don't, I, I mean, I guess, you know, all of them should be told so people know of, and, you know, you hope that 
some people's legacies go on forever, but just, I don't, you know, I just feel that I just have no clue about anyone. And so not, not you know, but I just don't, I don't know. So I, I just chose not to. And Mexico, same thing as Japan. Yeah. Yeah. See, see, <laughs> see, I thought you got cut off there for a second before I no. realized what you were saying. <laughs> uh, and let me see. Anyone else? The non-wrestlers, I guess I'll ask about Lou Albano because he was something of a humorous figure. And that's sort of your wheelhouse, at least. In yeah. Yeah, but he was just—that's just all he was, you know. Yeah. So I mean, I don't—I don't think he was changing the world. I mean, he was with that song, but that's about it. With Captain Lou's history of music. Uh, the one on the wrestling album. Yes. Captain <laughs> Lou, Captain yeah. Lou Albano. Oh, Captain Lou. Well, uh, this—what uh, about Bill After? This one I'm kind of curious to hear about. As guess, since I'm guessing you've had interaction with him. Yeah, I have. Numerous. Being a wrestler. Numerous. Well, well I guess uh, – is it uh, – well, I guess being more of a po- – at least in terms of your career, a post-magazine wrestler. Yes. Uh, Go on. Do you think just in terms of a wrestler perspective that you don't – that I guess in terms of the wrestlers voting, that the older ones would – I don't know. I guess see it differently because they were more likely to have have their career influenced by the magazines. Or, I mean, are you looking at that more as a fan? I guess than some of the other than some of the other candidates. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, it's just. Uh, I mean, obviously, he didn't he didn't stick out enough t- to me to want to vote him in a Hall of Fame. Um, and I guess as a kid, you know, that's how I got a lot of my quote unquote inside knowledge to begin with was uh, the, the magazines. But right, like when I started getting in magazines, it really didn't matter. Uh, but I, it just he just didn't he didn't pop out enough, I guess, to want to put him in a Hall of Fame. Obviously, he was very influential to so many people, right? But maybe you know, at my age, it's the wrong guy to ask or the wrong guy to, to ask to put him in. Alrighty, let's see. Anyone else of interest that would at least stimulate conversation? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jesse Ventura. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I would have, but then I saw the true story of Jesse Ventura in his movie. Oh, right. Well, see, <laughs> here's the deal. Well, yeah, if the you're going by match, the movie. The ladder match with Raven. Oh, the ladder match with Raven. His role in trying to stop the evil promoter after Montreal, right. and doing co- and making weird veiled references to knock Bret Hart. Well, wait, was that Bret Hart <laughs> on commentary with with Gorilla Monsoon, who had a very manly beard at that point in his career? See, so that that uh, you know that took away from me wanting to vote for him. Yeah. Uh, I you know I don't know like I guess in the same essence of Gorilla Monsoon. Um, you know, he was the voice of my childhood a little bit, but not as much as Gorilla. And also, uh, Jesse just kind of seemed like uh, the wacky, you know, kind of throwing – in my – like when I was a kid, you know, Gorilla Monsoon was the complete expert on professional wrestling. And, um, you know, Jesse was just there to spice it up a little bit. But Gorilla really knew everything about wrestling. Uh, and that's just – so in my – you know, in keeping my childhood mind – it's almost like one or the other. I'm not going to choose both, and I chose Gorilla. Huh. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. 
Isn't it terrible that that move that that movie isn't hasn't been enjoyed by more people? You really think you would think <laughs> it would it would be? And I've always figured that it's just that it came on the night that Owen Hart died, and I always figured that's why no one's ever really talked about it that much. I mean, it was on WrestleCrap, and but still, like, I mean, people talked about it a little then, but you would I would think that if that was on NBC, because remember it was on NBC in prime time on a Sunday night, right? Before and DVR. Actually, wait, and during sweeps, I think too, since that was May, <laughs> and it was not the, it wasn't, yeah. That could you could you imagine that it would be this cult? It would be a cult classic among wrestling fans. It would be you know along there. You know, well, I don't know. Is Body Slam considered a cult classic? But it is to me. Well, me too. But <laughs> uh, that's one of the terrible things again about how TV's changed over the years is that Body Slam's not on. TV every couple months like it used to be. Uh, well, would it just be on HBO? What would it, I remember watching it a lot. I think HBO. I remember it was on like on HBO and in syndication a lot back then. Was it? Okay, maybe. Yeah, I remember I would see it constantly. Uh, and M M Harry Smilak at your service. Uh, I, I never understood that. Why is he Captain Lou Mor- Morano? <laughs> if he's going to be Captain Lou Italian last name, why is he? Why does he have a different name? I don't know. I wish I knew. I, I I swear I actually heard the story on this the other day, but I oh really? <laughs> yeah, but I one hundred percent forgot it. Like I don't know why. Or somebody said it was it was brought up the other day. I don't know why. And by the other day, I mean like a month ago. But I don't remember. Oh yeah. Sorry, I can't break any break break any news I have for you on that one. Sorry. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, See, I I'm, I'm so excited when you said that yeah. you found out. Oh, that's that's. I don't know if I, I don't know if I found out, but there was something to do with that. Maybe someone was just saying, "Hey, remember Captain Lou was somebody else." I don't know. <laughs> oh well, I'm just trying to think. Could it have been like for some reason that Vince McMahon alleged that he owned the name or something? Maybe that's the only thing I could think of. Because otherwise, why are you? It just seems but so pointless. But uh, you know that uh, he's pers- he's um. I don't know what the word is, but he's acting as somebody else, you know. It's so it's uh, I want to say persuading or pursuing. But that's not right. Uh, portraying. Portraying. Yes. There we go. He's portraying. You know, he's portraying somebody else. So even though it is exactly him, you know, this is the this is the theater. This is the movies. You know, you are not the same person. We're we're actors. You know, so maybe, you know I can see that concept being being thrown in. And of course, all actors have vaguely British accents. Yes, thank you. That was that was actually directors. No, that was a director. Well, yeah, wait a second. Lou, Captain, we cannot make you albano. No, you will be murdered. <laughs> Maybe th- they thought it was going to be a really big hit, and they were going to merchandise it and do sequels and all that. And he had to have a different name. Oh God, they got it. They had to have known that wouldn't have been a a huge hit. Although I did always like. That uh, Quick Rick Roberts was from Evanston, Illinois, which was right next to my, uh, right next to where I grew up in Deerfield. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was always that always I couldn't believe. And remember when I was a kid, like, um, and I talk about this in my uh, my podcast with Punk is like, all I ever wanted to do was like meet wrestlers, and like I never got to, you know, outside of wrestling, I never got to meet them at the wrestling. You know, like that's all I ever wanted to do was see somebody at a at a restaurant and just talk to them. So I was like, wow, Evanston, Illinois, like maybe. Quick, you know, maybe he doesn't live there, but like maybe, you know, there is a wrestler that lives in Evanston, and I can go there with my parents, and I can meet them or something. So the fact that anything related to wrestling was close to my house was uh, was so awesome for me. Oh well, 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was always the same way too when I was little, and then fi- and then finally when I, there were indie shows a few times near my house, they they didn't advertise them. It didn't draw, and then they wondered why it didn't draw and never came back. Yeah, I never knew. I never knew anything about indies. Or I always wanted to go, but that, I never. I, I only assumed because I, uh, not that I was um, of any um, high class or anything, but my town was a higher class town, so I think it was almost uh, despicable to have wrestling in Deerfield. Uh, you know, so I and and I knew that growing up that you know with all the the lawyers and the doctors that like there's no way pro wrestling would be around here. I'd have to go to North Carolina or something, you know. No offense to the North Carolinians. So it just the idea of an independent wrestling show being around me uh, never even came I never even thought about it happening, nor did it even happen, you know, to my knowledge. Did you ever have any like stores that I don't want to say I guess specialized in wrestling at all near you? No. no. We actually had a comic store near here that sort of semi specialized in wrestling stuff. The closest that was magical. The closest thing I had to it was there's a there's a store next to uh, Wrigley Field called Yesterdays. Um, anybody from has been around Chicago, it's a, it's, it's a giant yellow store full of just crap. But it's right next to Wrigley Field. So when my parents would take me to a Cubs game, uh, we would always go to Yesterdays, and that's where I would get. They they had nothing with wrestling, but they had stacks and stacks of 1970s and 80s uh, aftermax. Yes. Uh, and so that's where I would like get a lot of my knowledge, you know, pre-internet. Of, of of everything is I would just buy all these old magazines from yesterday's and I would just fucking, you know, for hours just thumb through them and memorize all the names and list all the names and, and write them down. I don't know, you know. So that was the closest thing I had. But, that you know, Wrigley Field was, you know, 40 minutes from my house. So whenever we went to the Cubs games, that's what we would do also. Yeah, there was a bookstore near me that – uh, that one one day, like you this you know used bookstore, they found I don't know if they bought or just found that they had you know all these old wrestling magazines, and of course I loved that. You know, it was it was it was it was an education of sorts, and we're all worse off for it. Yeah, agreed. So I guess that's about it, unless somehow think of anything else we want to talk about within the next five seconds. Uh, no, you know, I just, uh, I've got a wrestling email that I've been giving out a lot, Colt Wrestling at Gmail, uh, you know, any feedback, uh, on anything. Um, I won't say this on my podcast, but if anybody wants to send me anything for free or something I would like, uh, feel free to reach out and be like, Colt, you'd like this. Here's this. Um, yeah, I don't know why, like, why not? Right. I'm in the position to say that. And, uh, you know, I'm sure people know stuff that I would like. Um, so yeah, that's good. And, uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, follow my podcast and my Twitter and, uh, come out and say hi to me at the, at the wrestling matches. And buy things from, from cultmerch.com. Yeah. Yeah. But they know that. I don't know. Again, like, uh, you know, I'm just a struggling artist, you know, look at it how it is, however you want. So, uh, every little, every little button that I sell helps. And well, besides all the various uh, wrestling shows, how what do you have coming up comedy-wise? Um, we're actually taking a two-week uh, hiatus for the. We were doing the summer schedule at Comedy Sports uh, Chicago, which is cszchicago.com, and then uh, our summer run did so well that we got picked up for a fall run. So that starts in two weeks. I have my calendar right here. That's September twenty-second. 
And then that will happen all the way, I think, through like either November or December. Um, and each week, um, each week uh, I go out there and I tell a, a, just a fun story about wrestling or anything to do with wrestling. Uh, you know, like three or five minutes called monologue. And then we all do improvised comedy based off of that. And um, and the guys I'm with, it's unbelievable. It's almost like, you know, if I was a rookie and I just jumped in there with, uh, you know, with Cena and Orton and all these guys. These guys are all like stalwarts and professionals and veterans of the, the Chicago improv scene, which is, you know, you guys have all heard of, you know, Second City and IO and where Farley and Steve Carell and all these guys came from. They're They're just they're the same guys without the break. Oh, so the improv stuff. So is it like uh, what is it? Oh, Harold type style improv or? Uh, we're doing we're we're doing long form, yeah. yeah. So, uh, long form improv, and again, it's based off of the wrestling suggestions and uh, anything you know. Like uh, I mentioned, Harley Race the other day, and then Nick Hausman um, was talking about his his bike race and how he was racing Harleys, you know, and uh, and you just go from there. So, uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's uh, you know, it's done so well that we've gotten picked up for a, for a fall run, and uh, and it's free. It's absolutely free. So I don't know how well we've done if it's free, but uh, <laughs> each week it's packed. It's you know it, uh, the Comedy Sports Theater is packed, and um, and people are really enjoying it. So come on, if you're in Chicago during the week on a vacay or something or work, uh, step on in. And if you do, you know, come say hi. I'm very, uh, you know, maybe at wrestling I'm in and out, but I'm very, you know, I'm always around at the at the comedy theater. So come say hi. Any any touring type dates for the comedy coming up, or is um, that on hold for now? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Mick uh, with Drew from the stand up world, and uh, that was kind of my meal ticket, and I was having so much fun with it. Uh, but for now, um, but for now, we're putting that on a halt. Uh, I will tell you some fun that I'm doing in terms of comedy, though. Uh, me and High Spots hooked up, uh, and we're gonna do um, basically. Um, uh, like Mystery Science 3000. Oh, for yeah. for what? For the matches that they have the rights to, I guess? Yeah, or like Cheap Seats, like the Sklar Brothers. On, on, that's how I'm kind of relating it to. But it's going to be, for, for now, it's going to be me and like different comedians who, who really love wrestling. And there's so many of them. And so uh, I think the, I don't know what I'm even supposed to say or not, but I figure good press is better than none. Um, there's a guy named Marty DeRosa out of Chicago. He's a stand-up comic and like a giant wrestling fan. And we're going to do the first one. So we're going to – those are, those are going to come out soon. And they're going to be very, very cheap and affordable I think. Uh, just over, you know, just some, some awful wrestling that they have. And we're going to do commentary over it. And I think it's I, – I, I want to say they're going to be $5 or something. So I'm not really sure. Um, are they going to be DVDs or are they going to be on the High Spots TV site? That's a good question. I'd assume DVDs but maybe later then on the TV spot. I don't know. I'm really, I'm really excited though. I, I think it's a good. It's going to be a good crossover and just like something very affordable and easy uh, and something to laugh at that you know won't you know a couple bucks won't hurt. So oh, that sounds that sounds really good. Yeah. Now, will you be silhouetted at the bottom of the screen? I, I don't know. They have a, <laughs> they they said they have a lot of ideas. We're gonna do some green screen stuff. Like I know they did with uh, you know uh, Kendrick in London or whatnot. So uh, I know they have a lot of ideas for it. And they're I think they're looking forward to it. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how it comes out. You know, I'm sure you'll hear from. From me on my podcast and stuff uh, after it's done. So give that a couple months, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Pretty cool. So thank you for doing this. Thank everyone for listening. And again, check you know check out 
cagesideseats.com, loserleavestown.net, or davidbix.com for the podcasts. And one thank you for doing this. Again, just one last time, plug welovecult.com for the Art of Wrestling podcast, cultmerch.com for a vast, vast array of Colt Cabana merchandise, a veritable throng of Colt Cabana merchandise, and follow him on Twitter at twitter.com slash Cabana for those of you who are not aware that if you have to access Twitter via twitter.com. See, I was just so full into plug mode that I just started saying, you go to twitter.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, no, you usually just say at, but you're right. It's got to, you know, if you don't want to sign up, then you just want to look at my fun. I have a lot of fun little things that I say on there. Uh, you have to go to twitter.http. Call it backslash, backslash. Forward slash. Forward, Sorry, forward, forward slash. slash, forward slash. People always get that wrong. I don't blame you. Yeah. But uh, it's a pet peeve for whatever reason. Yeah, so it's HTTP forward slash. But no, colon forward slash, forward slash. www.twitter.com slash D-R-C-O-L-T-C-A-B-A-N-A. And I've actually heard people – I don't know if this is England or Canada, but I've heard Triple W. Have you heard that one? Triple W. Yeah, think, that, might be, that might be more of a uh, foreign thing. I think that's Canadian. They'll be like Triple W, net or whatever. That doesn't exist, so don't go there. All right. Yes, and 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 if and remember, kids, that also it's called tweeting, and it's not called twittering. Sure. And the train again. See, that would have been cool if I should. I should have, let. How much longer will it be till the Chilla train comes by again? Because I want to end on a train if possible. But if it's ah. going to be too long. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe six six or twelve minutes. Just uh, just uh, CGI it in. Okay. <laughs> yes, we can use high spot screen screen. There you go. Okay, so thank you so much. We should definitely do this again more more often. So thanks, and I will talk to you later. I'll talk to everyone else soon. See ya.